Decorah, Iowa is a small town about 15 miles from the Minnesota border, tucked in the northeast corner of the state. It's home to a liberal arts college, about 8,000 people, and a mounting effort to trade an investor-owned electric utility for a city-run electricity provider. A group of locals is leading the municipalization push under the banner of Decorah Power, picking up support from large energy customers and local officials along the way. There's still plenty of ground to cover, but the group is currently awaiting results of a feasibility study and building community support for an energy future that favors the local economy rather than a monopoly utility based 150 miles away. Andy Johnson, Joel Zook, and Larry Grimstad help run Decora Power. They recently spoke with John Farrell, who leads the Energy Democracy Initiative here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, about their vision and why it makes sense to move forward now. This is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Andy, Larry, and Joel, welcome to the program. Thanks, John. So, Andy, I just wanted to start a question with for you. You know, you, we spoke again about a year and a half ago uh, about the Winnesheek Energy District. You know, one of the goals that you expressed was about all of the energy dollars that are spent in the community, about $100 million a year that leaves the community when, you know, we get energy from traditional fossil fuel sources um, or from remote sources and that, you know, the model of the energy district, this nonprofit providing resources for folks to invest in renewable energy and energy efficiency was to keep more of that money at home. And now you've got this new effort here, uh, Decora Power. You've got this conversation about Decora forming a municipal utility company. What was it that made it feel like this was necessary to consider how the city might have to take over its electric company in order to push forward this goal of local energy control and local energy dollars? First of all, the, the $100 million is a very rough estimate, but that also is an estimate for the, at the county level, which is much broader, of course, than the community of Decorah. Decorah is the county seat here for Winnesheet County, but more energy is used countywide, including a great deal of agricultural energy, which we do work on at the energy district level, efficiency and renewables with farms a great deal. So the number is smaller for Decorah, but for Decorah, as with the rest of our efforts over the years as the energy district has worked pretty hard in engaging community and, and, and actual customers and energy users on both efficiency and renewables, um, we have run into many roadblocks that many others around the country have also run into uh, in trying to keep those dollars local because we can invest in efficiency and we can invest in renewables, but these movements aren't just about going green. They also are about the economic impacts big time. And as we all know, in, in rural areas, keeping dollars local is oftentimes about ownership. And so many of the roadblocks we've run into in working with clean energy over the years have to do with incumbent utilities, which have business models built around ownership and profiting investors. And that's not wrong necessarily. That's part of what our market economy does. But then communities can start to wake up and say, wait a minute. We will have a lot more cash sloshing around in our local economies and a lot more jobs drawing from that if we can keep those big-time dollars local. And to keep big-time dollars local, we need some pretty big-time local ownership. The Decorah Power is a local citizen group that grew out of much of the work of the Energy District and conversations around keeping dollars local and, and focusing on the local electric grid and realizing that municipal electric utilities are ubiquitous and consumer-owned utilities are a model that's proving to be very valuable to a lot of communities, and let's take a look at that. The emphasis being on let's take a look at that 
not really in campaign mode or advocacy mode yet. We're looking, we're doing a feasibility study and a speaker series and helping the community engage and learn whether this is an opportunity worth following. So tell me a bit about the feasibility study. This is kind of your next step is to do an assessment of what it makes sense for Decora to form a municipal utility. And there's some models for this in other places. And in Minneapolis, we had what was called an energy pathways study that was done by the city to sort of look at in pursuit of its climate and energy goals, what the different options were, including municipalization. You, of course, have Boulder, Colorado, which has been on this road of municipalization for half a decade at this point, but started with this feasibility study. What would be in that study, and is it moving forward? Yes, it is moving forward. We actually, earlier in the year, had some some great help from technical and legal folks in Iowa that know how to do these things, and uh, we put it on RFP nationwide, had a number of good proposals, and picked a firm called NewGen, and uh, they started the feasibility study in August. It will be completed this calendar year, and so that's kind of the process and timeline along which we're also engaging the community again with the speaker series and a bunch of public meetings. The feasibility study itself is looking essentially at a few basic things that would be required by Iowa Code if we then take a proposal to the utility board requesting that exclusive service territory, because in Iowa, like many states, we are regulated monopolies essentially, and the utility board makes those decisions. And so the study needs to look at a few things that include infrastructure mapping and then valuation. So what would it cost? Because if the utility board granted the community this territory, the community would need to buy out the infrastructure. That's the way it works in Iowa. And so, of course, the utility would probably set one price and the community would set another. And our study is taking a very close look at the infrastructure that's here and trying to use the methodology that the board has set up in the past. Um, And then, of course, also big parts of that are energy market access. If we were to take over the utility, where would the energy come from? Clearly, we all have many goals for going clean and green and locally owned, but building out those renewables and the storage and the various aspects that the opportunities suggest are there would still take a long time. And so we would be accessing existing regional energy markets, and we need to make sure we can afford that and how that would work. And then the business model side that goes along with that, put together the the buyout costs, the debt you have, the income, the sales you expect, is this economically viable essentially to run as a municipal utility business without costing the taxpayers more money. So those are the key aspects that we need to get a pretty good handle on. It was sort of interesting in one of the stories about the feasibility study, I was struck by the fact that it didn't sound like the city itself was putting up the money for the study, that you managed to do that through your nonprofit, Decora Power. Is that right? That's right. So all these conversations that have been happening for a couple of years around, is this an option? Is it not an option? Also had to do with the fact that the incumbent utilities franchise agreement, investor-owned utility franchise agreement with the community of Decor expires in 2018. So the conversation came to a head and say, well, if we need to look at this, we need to look at this now. A citizens group formed and said, we really want to look at this. And this is coming on the heels. There's context here because there's also a fiber utility in the making here, and the community voted on that over a year ago, and that was strongly positive. So in that context, the citizens group formed to look at the electric utility, went to the council and said, you all are aware that the franchise agreement expires next year. The utility incumbent is already asking for some renewal, and essentially we're saying there's an opportunity here we'd like to pursue. But we can't do that if a franchise is about to be signed, and we're offering to raise money and not cost the city for the feasibility study. There would be cost to the community down the road if an application is made to the utility board, but initially, 
for a feasibility study, the citizen said, we will raise the money if you, the city, will agree that this is worth pursuing and essentially place a moratorium on franchise negotiations. The city did that and went a little further, actually, and said, okay, we won't negotiate franchise with the incumbent utility through this year. We'll authorize the core power, the citizens group, to conduct the study, and we'll appoint a city liaison to be part of that process. A council member is then part of the core power and following that just to keep the council updated. So they're very interested. And the core power said, look, we don't want to start asking this taxpayers of Decora to pursue another effort like this, and we have many efforts, great efforts going on, without being able to give them better information about what the real costs and benefits would be. So that's our first step. I think it's great that the franchise agreement is this timely hook, just like it has been in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, I've talked to some folks in Miami-Dade County down in Florida. It's something I think I wish more communities were aware of. Um, you know, there are hundreds of cities and towns in Minnesota, for example, that have these franchise contracts with utilities that expire usually every 15 to 20 years. And it really is a great opportunity to push forward a discussion of uh, you know, are we going about this the right way or is there an alternative that might make more sense? You know, one question I wanted to ask is, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the business model and, and kind of the dollar flows and control that comes from having uh, Alliant Energy, this, uh, you know, Madison-based utility serving Decora and, and the surrounding territory. What were some of the reasons why uh, folks who are now part of Decora Power or in the city were frustrated with Alliant? Presumably, we're not just exploring this option because it's, you know, financially or economically worthwhile, but I assume that there were also some problems maybe pursuing that vision of local energy production that weren't possible because of what the utility was doing. Some of that comes from renewable energy efforts and consumers wanting to build and own distributed generation, solar, but also otherwise. Uh, Luther College in town here has a large wind turbine. So there's a, a large amount of interest in distributed generation and energy efficiency. Even just on the energy efficiency side, though, before we talk solar, which is always sexy, uh, we've been promoting the Energy District has been doing energy efficiency technical work here in town with customers for seven years. And, you know, Iowa has very large ratepayer-funded energy efficiency programs, but the investor and utilities aligned with American and Black Hills refused to open those programs to local energy auditors, just as one example. So now, over the last 10 years, community colleges and others have trained energy auditors across the country, and Iowa is no exception. And most of those technical personnel are finding they're locked out of programs like these because the utilities like to really have a tight grip on what they do and who does what, when, where, and how, and of course, where the money flows. And so we have a number of local energy auditors that, that would love to do some of that work locally and have been locked out. And on the solar side, we have higher rates of solar adoption per customer, probably in the decor area than just about any community in the Midwest. It's still just the tip of the iceberg. And folks are realizing that even just reaching that tip of the iceberg of locally owned solar is already starting to see repercussions from the utility saying, wait a minute, that's too much on that circuit. Wait a minute, we'd like to go away from that metering. Many in the community has been involved in the utility board docket about net metering where the utilities are trying to essentially move away from that. And everyone in the field are familiar with these struggles. So, you know, there have been frustrations with the incumbent on many sides of clean energy, feeling that we can do more and faster and we can own it. We want to own the future. That's the tagline essentially of Decor Power. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. Wherever you found our podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, or somewhere else, 
Help other folks find us too by rating our podcast. You should also check out ILSR's other podcasts like Building Local Power or Community Broadband Bits. Thanks so much for listening. And now, back to the show. One question I would have is in terms of the feasibility study and the examining the municipal utility in, in Minneapolis, for example, we ended up with what is sort of called a clean energy partnership between the utilities and the city. So the city opted not to go ahead with forming a municipal utility, which is unfortunately rather time-consuming an expensive process, uh, even if it's worthwhile in the long run. Do you feel like uh, right now you're just in the information gathering stage? Would you feel if Alliant wanted to come to the table and offer to work more cooperatively with the city that that would be a good outcome? You know, how are you feeling about where you're at in the process? We've had some discussions with Alliant over the years and even recent in recent months, and Alliant is pressuring the city and, and local leadership to essentially say, look, we can meet all your goals. We can do clean energy too. Uh, We already do a lot of energy efficiency. Uh, Like I just said, they do it in ways that don't always open doors, that often close doors to local businesses and professionals. And so, yeah, I think folks have been frustrated on the one hand that the incumbent utilities aren't going clean and green fast enough and we could do it a lot faster. But even when the large utilities start to go green very quickly, like Mid-American, for example, has tremendous amount of wind in Iowa, and their goal is 100% green energy. And on the one hand, that's great because we all need to go very fast to clean energy. But on the other hand, and we've said this multiple times in dockets at the Iowa Utilities Board too, big renewables are good but not to the preclusion and exclusion of consumer, customer, and community-owned renewables. Don't lock everyone else out. It's a new energy world. The grid is by default becoming a two-way grid, and communities everywhere are realizing that when you have local ownership, this is the same as a shop local. Every chamber of commerce knows and runs campaigns about shop local. So we're saying, look, the energy world is a new open world here. We have opportunities to shop local, to own that infrastructure, increasingly. And when we do that, large amounts of cash start moving around in our communities. And that's one thing that Lion has stated clearly in the conversations. They said, look, we can go green, we can do efficiency, all of this. But when we start talking about local ownership, that's one thing we can't do. Because then, then that's, we're saying we would like to own and manage the grid and the energy infrastructure. So maybe uh, to Larry or Joel uh, with Decora Power, maybe give me an example or two of what you'd like to see happen if you're successful, whether or not that means forming a municipal utility or that Alliant finally agrees that community ownership is something that can work with their business model. What, what would that look like? I, I really would like to see some you know, firm commitment that, that we can trust that there is going to be the opportunity for customers to own their own distributed renewable energy and have fair access to the grid. I realize that net metering, that the full net metering is not going to be around forever, but I think some of the things that our incumbent utility has proposed here to the utilities board, they had some really, really restrictive options proposed in terms of what customers could do with their own solar. And uh, they recently had an executive from the company talking to uh, Congress about why you should get rid of PURPA. And so those kind of things make me nervous. And I think just looking down the road, Andy talked a little bit about them, them not being able to give on any local ownership of, of the distribution network. And I actually think that that's totally understandable from, from their standpoint. But, you know, I, I really think that they've made clear, you know, in, in their actions and, and, and what they've been saying and just kind of the trajectory that they're taking, that they are not 
going to be supportive of, of any customer-owned generation at all, you know, even on the local distribution grid. So I think that, that that's a worrying sign to me that, that they're going to continue to clamp down on the ability for customers just to be able to own their own generation. And just as a background for folks not familiar with the acronym, that federal law you mentioned, PURPA, is uh, what allows for competitive procurement uh, on the wholesale side of the meter. So uh, despite being of the era of shag carpeting, it's still important to competition in the utility sector. Uh, but as you mentioned, there have been hearings in Congress with utilities interested in getting rid of that law just at the time, coincidentally, when renewable energy has become increasingly cost competitive. I'd, I'd like to just maybe ask you one last question, which is, are there places that you look to for inspiration whether in terms of what has happened uh, because of local success or particular projects uh, that have already been developed that, you know, you want to see replicated? Well, you know, we've had an opportunity to have a lot of uh, people come to Decor and talk with us about their existing municipal electric utilities. We've had folks from nearby small towns, from, from towns in a similar size to Decor and some small rural electric cooperatives as well. And uh, it's just really neat to be able to see what they're doing and you know, being able to invest in their own local community and thinking about you know what's best for their customers rather than, than looking at kind of the bottom line for the shareholders. And uh, it's been really exciting to talk about some of the projects that have happened in these small towns. And you really get, I think, a lot of leverage out of their local utility. Any particular project that comes to mind? Well, we folks we've had come and visit include, for example, uh, Warren McKenna, Farmers Electric Co-op, um, another consumer-owned utility, not a municipal, but down around Kelowna, Iowa. You know, they they also have very high rates of solar ownership, both their co-op and their membership, and they've enabled that through an interesting sort of a hybrid feed-in tariff, hybrid net metering approach. But they also have built tremendous resiliency and reliability into their grid. And we've seen this with other municipal utilities, too. Again, this is all not just about solar. And it's not just about local dollars because communities can, can meet local priorities. And New Hampton, I believe, and Osage has come. Uh, Waverly came to talk to us. A number of these communities have internal backup systems. So if the outside grid goes down from a storm or hits the transmission lines, they can fire up their backup generators and, and keep the community powered up. That's not the kind of situation that investor-owned utilities are willing to invest in for each of their member-served communities. But when you own that system, you can essentially set your priorities and your goals. And, and a big part of that investment, then, I want to kind of let Larry have the last word, too, because what a lot of these communities do is they, they see this municipal utility we often hear about government should be run like a business. Well, these municipal utilities are a big, local business. Maybe, Larry, you can speak to that. So my background is I've been a community banker and an investor in renewable energy projects, both wind and solar. I have uh, run into roadblocks at times with the utility trying to build the larger projects, wind or solar. So it's been an interesting interesting engagement with, with the utilities. From the standpoint of local ownership and uh, a business model of a new utility, it just seems like, wow, you have an opportunity to take advantage of new technology. Of There's, there's, there's profitability there. Again, as, as Andy mentioned, the use of local dollars that now are not there, uh, whether it's banking, accounting, insurance, buying vehicles locally, I mean, all those things are just not available. So we look forward to having that opportunity to uh, bring all those things back to the community that should be here. 
the business model opportunity of opening the door on the first day to where we're going to buy power, the local management of that board, uh, the opportunities to price and make changes in the local grid system that would be beneficial, the opportunity to take a local look at what kind of renewables can we add in here and uh, and storage. And, you know, it just, it just opens all these doors to us that are currently either closed or we have no idea what the um, utility in Madison, Wisconsin will want to do with Decor someday. Well, Larry, Joel, and Andy, thank you so much for talking with me. It's exciting to hear about your efforts there, and uh, we'll hopefully be able to have you back on in six months and hear more about how feasible this project is. You just heard Andy Johnson, Joel Zook, and Larry Grimstad, leaders of the citizen-led municipalization movement in Decorah, Iowa, speaking with ILSR's John Farrell about their quest to dramatically increase local influence over their community's energy future. For more information on municipalization and grassroots clean energy advocacy, visit ILSR.org. And while you're there, check out past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. Until next time, keep your energy local and thanks for listening.